0: It's kind of fun to be outside, this, this is different, this is fun, we're, we're having church in the park here in the woods, um, kids, we're, we're, we're close to the wild, right, it's fun today, but it's not always fun, well, I, I, I came prepared today, you know, I knew we were going to be out here in the woods in the wild, and so I brought my flashlight, okay. <laughs> We're ready. In case there's anything scary here in this dark uh, shelter or out there in the bushes, but but the woods can be a fun place. The woods can be a scary place. The woods can be a broken-down place. Think about that. The woods is a place where things rot and fall apart. And break down. Even this, even this nice shelter that we're in, you know, if it wasn't looked after, it wasn't cared for, it wouldn't be too many years, and the wood would begin to rot, and things would begin to cave in. The barbecues outside are already rusting, and they would eventually fall apart. Uh, stuff in this world does not last on its own. It breaks down. It corrodes. It rots. It falls apart. And I think there's something in that that we need to grab hold of. We need to know. We need to. To recognize, because that's, that's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world gone wrong. It's a world where things are broken down, a world where things are rusting and rotting, a world where the woods are full of bugs that will eat holes right through your clothes. This is the kind of place that we live in and exist in. Turn the corner a little bit. We're here for a picnic. I don't want to start talking down on the park in your picnic. We're here for a picnic. We're going to have what to eat? Anybody know? Food, oh, that was easy. Okay, can you get a little more specific? We're going to have pulled pork. Now, let's just think about those pigs for a minute. Those pigs were doing great, and the food kept coming. And they said, yeah, this is great, there's food. And they kept eating it. And what those poor piggies did not know is that they were being fattened for a coming day of slaughter. Think about that as you enjoy your pulled pork this <laughs> afternoon, right? Well, I don't want to spoil your picnic, but those are the kind of vivid images, that's the kind of connection God makes with us about this world that we live in, about the dangers of it, about the, the uh, corrupting and rotting and falling apart of the false hope that we're so easily attracted to, that can pull us away from and get our eyes off of where our hope actually is and can only be found. And so what 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 the passage in in James brings us to today as we as we as we turn into chapter five, as you've been following us through this whole series through the book of James, James is very practical in chapter five, and he addresses that false hope versus true hope. I want to answer the question, how to stay strong in a world that's gone wrong, a world that so easily pulls our gaze in the wrong direction? How to stay strong in a world gone wrong, and, and it's twofold. And you have actually an outline for this in your, in your notes as well. We crammed everything into that bulletin this morning for you, so you take this whole, this whole service away with you. First of all, don't fatten your heart with things that will not last. <laughs> Don't fatten your heart with things that won't last, but establish your hearts. This is the language James uses. Don't fatten your hearts, but establish your hearts to continue in hope. So don't fatten your heart on a false hope that will not last, but rather establish and strengthen your heart on the true hope that we have that is set before us. First of all, okay, let me read verses 1 through 5 of James chapter 5. Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead and follow along with me. I won't give you the page number in the uh, church Bibles because (laughs) the picnic tables don't have those little pockets. Okay, so James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the first uh, six verses, I think it is. Okay, listen, this gets good. This gets graphic. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) Weep and howl. And by the way, if you drove here to the park today, you are among the rich in the world. So don't just push this office for somebody who lives in a, a bigger house than you have. Come now, you rich and, ho- and you rich weep and howl for the miseries coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields or cut your lawn, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What a great uplifting, now that's a picnic passage, isn't it? (laughs) Well, first of all, first question you probably are wondering, is this really for me? Is is this really what God is is, is saying to me this morning? Really? Uh, Hopefully not. What James is doing here is James is is doing the same thing. This is probably the most prophetic paragraph. By prophetic, I mean sounds like the prophet's you read reading the prophets, you read the same kind of stuff, don't you? That same kind of language, that same kind of very clear and penetrating indictment. And oftentimes the, the prophets do something. The prophets do something in, in, in their preaching that sometimes they talk to people who aren't there. Ah, you, you say, oh, well, you do that too, right? <laughs> It's like a conversation you have at house. I'll be saying something to Julie not to realize that Julie has already snuck out of the room several minutes earlier, and I'm still going on, right? Well, the prophets do something like that, but a little more intentionally. The prophets will, will, will rail an oracle of judgment against the nations. The only problem is they're in Jerusalem, or they're somewhere in Israel, and the nations aren't listening at that time. But Israel, God's people are hearing this, and part of what's going on is the prophets are telling about the judgment that is coming upon on those who are without God, and often those are enemies that are oppressing God's people, and God's telling them that even though it's bad now, the prophet Nahum is railing against Assyria, not long before Assyria is going to wipe out Israel. And part of what, what, part of what Nahum is doing is he's letting Israel know that those who so mistreat them are going to get what's coming. God will judge. We don't see it yet. We don't see it now, but God will judge. That's what James is doing. James is reminding that there is a judgment coming. It may not be going well now, but God will intervene. So write that over the top, first of all. But if this is not to us, I think James, James has already identified the rich among the, among the people he's writing to. When he refers to the rich already, he was talking about unbelievers. Sometimes they might come and visit in. And what are you guys doing favoring the rich people that come and visit in at church and you honor them when those are the same people that persecute you? Those are the same ones that are putting people, our people within our church bodies in, 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 in prison. Why would you honor them and give them the best seats in the house? What's going on? And so we we wouldn't expect that here all of a sudden he's talking about he's talking to believers in this first six verses. In fact, look at verse 7. Well, I'll read verse 7. Verse 7 seems to turn the corner all of a sudden. Be patient therefore. Therefore looks back. In light of what he said that railing judgment, therefore, in light of that, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. You see? He's encouraging a weak and poor and powerless church that the the corrupt but powerful within society will get their judgment when it comes. But as we listen in, there's something we can learn, and that is don't trust in that false hope. That which cannot last, that which will pass, that which will rot away, that which will corrupt into an indicting judgment against the very ones who hoped in it. Don't put your eggs in that basket. Don't don't trust in those things for your security or for your reward. For your reward. Riches and rotted garments will be mothy, and that's the same language that Jesus used. He said, No, 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 store up for yourself treasures in heaven where where, where the rust will not destroy and the moths will not eat holes in it, and the thieves will not break in and steal. Rather than hoarding up for yourself treasures on earth, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's why we want to support outreach as a church. That's one of the reasons we, we give to a church. One of the reasons we, we we take a portion, a tenth of our income, and we, we give that to to the church corporately is so that as a church corporately, we can reach out into the community around us. So we can send as a church corporately. Together we send people or help send people all the way to Lebanon that they might speak the gospel there in places where we're not going to go. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. That corrupted riches as an evidence, the hoarding for self rather than used for good. We live in an indulgent indulgent consumer culture where we're taught, we're, we're encouraged, we're urged to go gather stuff for yourself. Have it your way. You ought to have that. You deserve this. It's in the air that we breathe. And yet... It's so easy for us to, to hoard things up, right? And then all of a sudden you look in your garage one day and say, where did all this stuff come from? And what am I going to do with it? The next thing you know, you're renting storage space somewhere. Somewhere to keep all this stuff. What am I going to do with all of this stuff? Don't, yep, you know, don't hoard up for ourselves the thing. Oh, I might need that someday. But maybe, maybe somebody else needs it now. Have you got stuff that you're not using now that somebody else could need now that you might need someday? Now, we're balancing this with prudent provision for the future, right? I am not urging you to empty your retirement accounts. But easily in this environment, we hoard things up that we don't have instead of storing up that treasures in heaven. I remember somebody saying years ago, when the rapture comes... What are you going to leave behind for the devil to use? Interesting thought to think about. Don't cheat or defraud to get rich. Don't manipulate the system. You know, you've heard in the news a story about the EpiPen, right? It used to cost 100 bucks for two, and now over a course of a handful of years, there's 600. And you think, well, this is, this is capitalism gone. Like, no, it's not capitalism. It's not free market. There's actually government regulation and control. Oh, did I mention that the? um, I'm going to need that. Did did I mention that the that the um, the president or the or the CEO of the of of the company is actually the daughter of a senator? But there's there's government regulation control that 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 causes only this one. It's not the drug costs about a dollar a dose, but the delivery deal that little pen that you click and automatically injects, that's patented. And that's been lobbied into regulation so that that's the one at least public enterprises have to buy. And so they can... Ch- oh, it's, it's insurance companies and government and Medicare. These are the people that are paying for it, right? So it doesn't really matter. We can charge whatever we want. That's how that kind of corruption happens. You say, well, I'm not involved in EpiPens. Okay, well, maybe, maybe you're, you're in the midst of buying them and you hate it. Asthma inhalers, they, they work in the same principle. That's why they cost what they do. That kind of corruption ignites us to say, that's not right at all. Let me ask you this. Could I buy a used car from you? Are you that when you sell a used car, would you want to sell it to somebody that you know and somebody you're you're going to see again the next week? Or do you want to sell that thing randomly to somebody far, far away? (laughs) How do we sell used cars? That tells us a lot about taking advantage of people for our own profit, right? (laughs) What about things we claim on our taxes? And that time will come around again. Are we enriching ourselves in unjust ways in the same way that we would condemn other people? There's something to learn from the indictment James has against those. The bottom line is, in a wrong and godless society, God is going to judge that. But how am I, how are we potentially being influenced by that corrupt and godless society in ways that it creeps into our lives, in ways that we would learn from that judgment and say, Lord, help me clean my house. Lord, help me clean my heart so that my heart is not fattened like a day of slaughter, but my heart is instead being established in your hope. From verse seven on, James James turns the corner. He says, in this corrupt world, in this broken down, rotting world, instead, therefore, brothers, be patient, endure, wait until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Oh, there's news from God's word. The rains are coming. You didn't know that. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That grumbling against one another is that judging one another when God is the judge. We talked about that last week. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. All right. Establish your heart in hope. And I broke this down, I think, four ways. If I remember right, it was in four ways. First of all, he says in verse 7 and 8, patiently endure. Endure the present godlessness knowing this, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Jesus is coming. Wonderful message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful word of the king. What is it? Jesus is coming again. That hope rings true and rings through. You know the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter, every chapter closes with a rehearsal of the coming of the Lord. For Paul, early in his ministry, that fed everything. The book of Revelation closes with this promise from Jesus. I am coming quickly, suddenly, unexpectedly, at any time. Establish your hearts in that hope. We bear fruit through dry seasons knowing that the later rains, what what Peter calls in Acts chapter 2, the times of refreshing from the Lord are coming. That patiently wait reminds us of James chapter 1. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of eternal life. We keep going. We, we patiently endure. It's not, we're not home yet. We're not there yet. But the Lord is coming. Patiently waiting means, specifically, don't grumble. Oh, now that actually is, is harder than we realize because grumbling easily sneaks up on us, doesn't it? In the midst of your coffee being a little cold, or a little bitter, or the weather being a little cool today, easily grumbling sneaks in. Whenever the circumstances aren't quite to our liking or our plan or anticipation, easily grumbling slips in. When somebody else, let me give you an example. Men's Roundup. Next weekend, right? We're gonna be in cabins. Some of us will be in tents overflow, but 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 eleven in each cabin, and guess what? Some of us snore. The lion will roar. And the grumblers will grumble, won't they? I didn't get any sleep last night. That's there just to test your character, brothers, okay? That's why we do that. All right, don't grumble. One of my favorite verses in this is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Be content with such things as you have. Why? Because he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We're content with what things and circumstances we have because we have the Lord and the Lord has us. That's the basis for our contentment. Patiently waiting means don't grumble. Trust God to vindicate you. Trust God to set whatever's wrong right. Now, don't grumble doesn't mean don't say anything. His next example for us is the prophets. Speak up for God like the prophets. In the midst of this day, for this day, during this day, while we have this day, speak up. As the prophets were God's messengers in their generation, we are God's messengers. Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ, messengers for Christ, that he has given to us God's word of reconciliation. Not to angels, not to any other part of creation, but God has given that to you and I, born again believers in Jesus Christ, to be his messengers. We are not the ones to regenerate anybody. That's why I say I am not going to be the one to save my neighbor, my friend, the person that I work with. But how might God use me to bring them, help them take the next step toward faith in Christ? As God would draw them, as I pray for them, and as God would draw them, and God would use me as his messenger, God would use you as his messenger, just like the prophets. So don't grumble. Instead of grumbling, we speak hope. And our, our ability to speak hope in the midst of our own trouble wins the hearts of those that God has set us around because they look for something that's real, something that's genuine, something that somehow makes sense in the midst of so much that's going on around us that doesn't. How did the prophets keep going? Even when times were against them? And you read the prophets, you find out the prophets were, were writing and preaching and speaking in a difficult generation when society as a whole had left them by and large, had left faith, had moved on. Nobody believes that anymore except these crazy prophets. And yet they spoke. How could they keep doing that? Because they trusted in the character of God. They trusted in the character of God. He gives an example also of Job. The steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job knew something about God's character. That's why Job was so perplexed. Job had the questions that he had. Job even grumbled some of what he grumbled because... He knew God's character, and he knew his friends' easy answers didn't add up in light of God's character, that God is compassionate, and God is merciful. God is just not merely turning around and giving me what's due me because I've I've messed up somewhere along the line that I didn't know about. That's not what's happening here, because he knew God's character. Knowing who God is, really, not who you imagine God to be, There's a difference between who we imagine God to be, the gods that we might manufacture in our own minds, compared to who God actually is. But this is the day that we need to know who is God really, that we will trust in his character in the midst of a a world gone wrong. The way we'll stay strong in a world gone wrong is by trusting in God as he really is, trusting in God's character, that God is compassionate. That God is merciful, that God has a purpose in mind. That word purpose there, that um, he refers to Job and the the Lord's purpose. You know what God's purpose was with Job? In that whole ordeal was for God to reveal himself more fully to Job. And Job said, I'd heard about you before, but now I have seen you. And for Job, that made all the difference. Job never got the bigger picture. Job was never aware of chapters 1 and 2 and what was going on before all of heaven that was then played out in Job's life on earth. We won't get those glimpses yet, most of the time. And yet, when I don't know the why, when I don't know the background, when I don't know the backstory, when I don't know what all is going on in heaven, in my little life, I can trust the Lord because I know who he is. We will take this life to learn who our God is. And that's what will strengthen us in this life into the world to come, into eternity that is yet before us. Rather than fattening my heart, I need to strengthen my heart. That's what James is telling us. Rather than fattening my heart, I need to establish my heart. Um, A few months ago, my son Daniel and I, we climbed Mount Hood it was glorious. We've been wanting to do that for years. And yet, as we are making our way up to the, the final steep approach to the summit, axe, ice axes in hand, and we had to use them to pull ourselves along the way. And yet, I had prepped some. I had trained some. But the opportunity to go on that climb came up rather quickly. I didn't have a lot of training, prepping time. A lot of routine, regular exercise, you know, that you'd want to do in something like that. And my heart flat gave out. I remember going up that steepest part, and we're supposed to keep going. And the others in the group are going on ahead. And there was this one kid. its like 13 years old. The kid was a mountain goat. And he'd just come off of his cross-country season. So he must have been like a McKinney or something. But all he did was eat and run, I think. And so this mountain was no problem for him. I, you know, sometimes we kind of like, okay, we're going a little bit, and so, okay, is it, yeah, it's a good time for a rest. Let's rest. No, no, no. These were mandatory rests. These were I-can't-take-another-step rests. And then I would rest, and then I would take 10 more steps, and then I would have another mandatory rest because my heart only had that much strength. At that altitude, in that thin air, in, in that, that steep, that's all I could do. And I wished my heart was a little stronger than it was on that morning. We made it to the top. It could have been easier, but we made it to the top. I wished my heart was a little bit stronger on that morning. I wish I had taken the time to train a little bit more. How will we train? How will we establish our hearts then? We can take some time to feast, fatten up a little bit. But how will we train, how will we establish our hearts that we stay strong in a world gone wrong? Let me, let me repeat what I listed before. Don't be distracted by false hope. Riches, more stuff, bigger barns, moth-eaten closets, and rusty gold. Don't be distracted by what cannot last. Instead, patiently wait. Set your hope on Jesus' coming. Work for what will matter then. What are you involved in week by week that'll matter only once eternity comes? What is it? Find something that this is the thing I do today because it'll matter only when eternity comes. And it's really the only thing that'll matter once eternity comes. Don't grumble. Instead, encourage. Spread hope to others rather than grumbling. Help others look up by speaking up. Be that prophet. Even when people around you say, what? Does anybody still believe that stuff? Still believe that stuff. And be willing to speak up and share that stuff. Finally, trust God's character. This is our opportunity. These are our days when we get to know the God who loved us and sent his son, who loved us and gave himself for us. These are our days to get to know him by faith. You're going to, You expect, I think most of you expect, to live forever with him, right? You expect to see him, some of you, sooner than others. Don't you think it'd be good to get to know him? Yeah? Now, when you're there, when you're at home together with the Father in his heaven, don't you want to feel like you belong there? Now, you do belong there. In Jesus Christ, through faith in him who loved us and died for us, you do belong there. But easily we don't feel like we belong there. And feeling in his family comes from that, getting to know him and knowing his character and living in that so his, the glory of his character is what leads us on instead of the passing glory of a broken world all around us, all right? Rather than fattening our hearts spiritually, We need to feed our faith and establish our hearts. We can fatten up on pork and cake, and I'm looking forward to that. But what will I do even today among one another to establish hearts with all of heaven before us? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, for for bits of sun even breaking through. Lord, might that be true in our own lives, that in the midst of what may cloud our hope. What may distract or get in the way, Father, let it be, let it be that the light of your character, who you really are to us and for us, that that would shine through in ways that would change everything. Lord, uh, establish our hearts, Father, that we might live for you for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.